What's up, y'all? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that come out today. A little bit of a slower week after Labor Day. Just never. taking a chill. Never? No, th- never. Every week when comics come out, come on, we just had a, we walked through the great desert of a comic drought. And here we are back. Uh, mm-hmm. Every week's exciting. There's a lot of fun I, stuff. I will tell you that in my mind, this is less comics than usual, but just because we did probably 36 comics last week and are doing a yes. little less this week. So there you go. I think that may be what it is. We're doing just a slightly less number of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we talked for, I don't know, like an hour last week. That was a very long episode of The Stack. But hey, let's see it what we can fun. do. Two hours for this one. Yeah. Let's extend it. Let's offer our yes. thoughts on everything. Well, and uh, one little business note. Pete is off because he has poison ivy. Now, let's get into it. First off, Bill and Ted are doomed, number one, from Dark Horse Comics, written by Evan Dorkin and art by Roger Langridge. This is the official prequel to the film Bill and Ted Face the Music. I think it's suffered a little bit by switching around of the release schedule of Bill and Ted 3. Unfortunately, it's coming out afterwards. Uh, But I... I talked about this on the live show a little bit. I would just be excited about anything that Evan Dorkin and Roger Langridge are doing together because they're so good. And in my mind, this doesn't disappoint. But how'd you feel? Uh, Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I haven't seen the new Bill and Ted movie. I'm not like... um, uh, I'm not a diehard Bill and Ted guy. Like, I've I've seen the first two, but... um, but I got to say, this played like almost like Bill and Ted uh, in an Archie comic mm-hmm. in a fun way. Like it felt just like a fun, almost episodic, like touchstone on all the different characters that are in the universe. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes next. Yeah, it it feels like the two, the two dudes who created this are such like bit dudes. Like, yeah. so they're a perfect feel for it. And you get... Verbal bits, you get little graphic bits from Roger Langridge in the background of things. It definitely, if you haven't seen the third movie, it plays off a lot of the storylines there uh, and sets up those things. So I would highly recommend watching the movie first and then going read this because it's not that it ruins bits necessarily for the movie, but it certainly like sets up a lot of the plot points there. Um, But this is fun in its own right. It's Bill and Ted going on a world tour, dealing with the bummer that is there not paying off on the promise of their big uh, concert at the end of Bogus Journey. It's fun stuff. I really enjoyed this issue a lot, particularly for it being like you could phone in a prequel for a comic like this, but there clearly is a lot of love that went on here. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, like it it does that smart thing that a lot of tie in books do where it takes one thing about the characters and it just plays on it as opposed to like getting in deep into the mythology of a certain thing or just trying to do something new. It's like, here, let's just touch all these things and then push them down the field a little bit. And it, it does a good job of that. Next up, Dark Knight's Death Metal Trinity Crisis, number one from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder and art by Francis Manipool. Now, I will say this plays like just another spinoff of Dark Knight's Death Metal. This is an essential chapter of the book, I feel like. A hundred percent. Which is crazy. Uh, but you get Francis Manipool art. You get uh, Scott Snyder doing wild writing. Uh, it's 
It's great. I mean, we had Scott on the live show two weeks ago or a week and a half ago at this point, and he talked quite a bit about the Dark Knights event. Um, And it's just fun to see all of those wild ideas at play here. I like this issue quite a bit, like I've been liking the series, I think. I do too, and this is a good uh, sort of distillation of what of all the characters, as opposed to the main book, which is really like grinding the plot forward uh, and having to touch on so many things. This takes the pace down a little bit, I think, and really lets each character give you a little bit of status quo with them. And after hearing from Scott, it was really cool to see all the different, uh, especially the Trinity characters um, and the rest of the characters, to to see them. Uh, and look at them through his eyes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm curious to see how it plays out in the next issue, because there's a big cliffhanger at the end here that feels like what he's trying to do with the main series. This is an essential issue, but also with the main series, he's just like throwing you into the middle of things. Like things yeah. have already happened. You between the, the month that the comics have been released or two weeks or three weeks or whatever, other things have gone on and same thing is here, but here we're getting a glimpse of it and everything is great. Uh, let's move from the middle of an event to the end of an event. I want to talk about these together. We got the very alliterative Empire Aftermath Avengers number one from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Valerio Skitty. Empire Fallout Fantastic Four number one from Marvel, written by Dan Slott and art by Sean uh, Isaacos. Uh, this, or Isaacs, I guess. Uh, this is, uh, we were a little mixed, I think, about the Empire event. This had the Kree Skrull Armada fighting the Kotati, some plant people, a bunch of other stuff going on. Uh, but here, as the title says, it's not as clean as like Avengers and Fantastic Four. It's a little mixed together. But the Avengers issue is dealing a lot with Emperor Hulkling. The Fantastic Four issue is dealing a little more firmly with Fantastic Four as well as some other things. And both of them end on big teases for the future of the Marvel Universe. Uh, I, given how mixed I was about the Empire event, I was surprised how much I liked both of these issues. Yeah, I think these books did a good job of giving us the context that we felt like we were lacking with the main event. Like, I feel like with the main event, we were like, the storytelling felt like, oh, this is exciting, this is building up to something big. And then it just was actually sort of a smaller event than we thought. Um, it was like a hangout event. Not a lot of characters died and not a mm-hmm. lot of status quo stuff was changed. It was like, there's this issue and now we've resolved this issue. And these sort of give us like, well, here's what is different a little bit. And honestly, it's not a ton. Let me be honest. <laughs> but there, there are great scenes in here. Like I love this stuff in um, the Al Ewing uh, written book, um, Empire Aftermath where we get uh, the brand versus um, versus Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel stuff. Yeah. yeah. That stuff was really cool. Um, just seeing the Avengers sort of like hanging out and talking, like uh, there's a great moment, a great scene between Captain America and, uh, and Tony Stark of like, shouldn't we, I wish we'd train them, registered them. Just kidding. Let's not go there. Like that was fun. <laughs> like it just like there were some good moments in here. The other thing that I really liked about that book in particular is framing Hulkling as a different type of king in the Marvel Universe, because we've got Black Panther, we've got Doctor Doom, we've got all of these characters who are very regal and serious, 
and are very like, we do what we need to do. We do what is best for Wakanda. I do what is best for Latveria. And they frame it as Hulkling is at the beginning of this journey. So he may get to that point. Certainly a lot of people warn him that like, you're going to get to a point where these choices are going to be impossible. And if you want to be emperor, you need to choose the people that you're representing. But right now he is an emperor that doesn't necessarily hold back when things need to be done, but he is trying to be more benevolent than that. And that, that to me, that is a fascinating character to follow going forward. Uh, Particularly the idea that Wiccan is going to be with him. And it's the sort of thing. I don't know if there's plans for this, I honestly have just not paid much attention to what's coming forward in comics. But if there was like <laughs> an Emperor Hulkling comic, that would be a great character thing to follow. Like just the idea of how do you rule two races that have hated each other for millennia and try to do it the right way with your husband by your side. That's great. Yeah, I agree. And being able to – they're the characters that emerge from this as like sort of the most interesting. Like I like mm-hmm. the sort of tags at the end of both of these books. But they are the ones – like I would definitely like to see them uh, on a day-to-day basis like what they're up to. Because otherwise most of the characters in this book are characters we know and already like and they're just like being themselves. We get yeah. uh, Thor and She-Hulk are like officially dating, which I thought was like a fun <laughs> uh, revelation here. Yeah, uh, I also I think this was in this one. I'm kind of mixing them up now, but I love the line after the official Cree scroll wedding, where the rabbi says, "This is the first outer space same sex, uh, wait, outer space same sex Jewish wedding that I've ever officiated." Uh, yeah, it's just fun, just fun stuff, good times. Uh, and the Fantastic Four issue I thought was very good as well, and also in terms of delineating itself. From the Avengers issue, focusing on the history of the blue area of the moon, which has been very key to Marvel Universe continuity, working in the unknown, that weird Nick Fury robot dude who took over for the Watcher and coming up with a new status quo for him as well. Um, Just uh, good stuff. And like... Uh, it's very clearly following off of Dan Slott's run on Fantastic Four, um, and it feels of a piece of that. But his run has been good. His run has been fun. He has a good handle of the characters, so this feels fun as well. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, And this one also, you could, what I also want to just real quick want to say, um, it was nice that each separate issue that they they came out the same week and really reflected the different writers who sort of shepherded this project, their tones uh, a little bit differently. And they were able to have their own sort of wrap up. Um, Because Dan Sauce, I feel like, was so Fantastic Four focused and got to have like the humor of uh, Spider Man uh, hanging out and Wolverine like uh, talking shop and all that. Like that was a nice. That was a very Dan Slott thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So good stuff. Even if you were on the fence about Empire, maybe pick up these two issues so you can have a sense of the new status quo of the Marvel Universe. Let's move on to another one. Stealth number five from Image Comics, written by Mike Costa and art by Nate Belgard. Man, uh, I love this book. We've been talking about every issue of this book. This is about a old dark horse, dark hawk, excuse me, Esque superhero <laughs> who is suffering from dementia. His son is investigating mysteries that are tied with it. There is an old villain of his who is tied to his origin, uh, who is coming after him. 
been great. This is definitely like, this is the issue before the end. So it definitely feels like even though some big things happen, there's a little bit of a pause there, but particularly with the villain with dead hand, it's so well written and he's so calculated and terrifying at the same time. It's very impressive to read. Yeah. Like I was going to say like this comic is we've, uh, we've raved about it so much. Uh, its main characters are so well well done, and then they take the time in this issue to really establish. Like the most fun character in this issue is the villain, and we get a little bit of origin, like snuck into the sort of the back half of the book. But it was just uh, just another great book, great action, really well drawn. Yeah, everyone's a, sort of on the same plane. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what's going to happen in this last issue. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited to go into the end of it. Uh, Let's move on to another one that's been great the entire run. Something is Killing the Children, number 10 from Boob Studios, written by James Tynan IV, art by Werther Deldaria. This is continuing the storyline of a bunch of uh, invisible monsters killing some children. Uh, It's fascinating to me that so little and so much happens in every issue of this book. I don't know if you get that feeling as well. A hundred percent. I get the exact same feeling of like, I'm always like, Ooh, this is such a tonal book. Like it's something that you read where you're just like, Mm -hmm. you want the taste of it. You know, it's not about a million things happening because the dread they create each issue and those sort of moments of horror and every day, like I, I'm always reminded reading this of the issue where the cop is like, Hey, I have a bunch of beer in my bag. If you want to grab one, it's just so when they're like in the, the impromptu morgue they made in like the high school gym a couple issues back. And like every issue just has those great little details. And then also just a bunch of horrifying action. And this issue has maybe more action than we've seen for a couple. Yeah. There's uh, I have a question for you. Do you, when there is a monster comes out and kills one of the children in your head, or you're like, that's the thing that's killing the children. <laughs> Uh, no, because I'm constantly like, is that the thing killing the children? Because I don't believe there's something, the the mystery they've created here, like, yeah. leaves a little bit of, like, maybe that's not what's killing the children. Right. Uh, another great issue of this book, and Werther Daria's art is so gorgeous. I also love the layouts of this book. I mean, this might be part yeah. of getting it digitally, but the fact that, like, they have these huge spreads that are multi-panels long. It just feels and reads different from every other comic that I'm reading today. Real good stuff. Yeah. Moving on to Superman number 25 from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis and art by Ivan Rice. This is introducing another new villain for Superman, or maybe ally. We'll see what happens. But it is a race of aliens that we've never met before who are... Uh, aware of the destruction of Krypton, become concerned about Superman, and then proceed to follow him throughout history. So we get a parallel for this anniversary issue of Superman's entire history through this alien's perspective, as well as through Superman's perspective and his relationship with Lana Lang, which we're reestablishing here. Um, I like this issue. I'm cautiously optimistic after big guy with weird lip that I'm forgetting of the name, uh, Rogar Thargar or whatever. 
the yes. other the other villain that he introduced, where there's a lot of like returning to the destruction of Krypton and mining that. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Well, and I do think reading this issue made me want to take a sort of a mental uh, check in on Bendis's run in general. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think? Because uh, this felt like a hard reset and sort of a like, I don't know, let's start over um, in some ways. And I like this issue. It made me really think Superman is going to get with Lana Lang, oddly. Yeah. Um, in a sort of stressful way. Um, if that, that would be fucked but, up if that would happen. Agreed. Um, but what do you think this means for Bendis' run in general? Or what do you think of Bendis' run in general reading this? It's I appreciate the fact that he's added a lot of new characters to the Superman continuity. That's certainly something that's needed. But this is the absolute worst way of saying this. A lot of reading his run feels like a chore. Like, yeah, well, I got to read this because he's going to be adding this new thing that people are going to pick up on later on. And it's going to affect the rest of DC continuity. So I got to know what's going on where I don't know. It's it's. It doesn't feel like exactly the right fit for Bendis um, at the same time. I agree. I mean, it feels homeworky, where a lot of mm-hmm. it is just so much of laying groundwork when it's just like, what is the story you're telling? Like, yeah, what is the because so much of the, the stuff that came before him, I loved so much with Superman, the, the real Superman family living in Smallville. And it was a real family unit. And I was like. I see what the story is here. It's a family unit uh, rallying around their father slash husband who is Superman and what he has to do. Um, and everyone got to, to do their own thing. In this, it feels like Lois and Superman are always in different places, very busy. Uh, John Kent is uh, with the Legionnaires now. Um, and it just feels it feels like everyone's working so hard and I don't know what's happening. Right. Uh, Yeah, there seems to be a loss of the core values of Superman in a certain way. And I think that's it's funny because that's something that he is trying to hit constantly and trying to work around, trying to reemphasize. But and he does get around to it sometimes in his run, like the fight with the Injustice League in Metropolis, which I honestly do not remember whether that was in Superman or Action Comics was very good and very tense and very dangerous, but that it was interrupted by Leviathan coming in and being like, let's stop this fighting. Yeah. Which it's, it's always, it feels like watching a chess game in a certain way to get to your point about like laying the groundwork, you know? And that's everyone's favorite activity is just tucking mm-hmm. in and watching some fucking chess. Yeah. Bobby, what's his name? Yes. Right? Searching for Bobby chess fish. Here <laughs> Uh, Moving on to another setup thing, though. Ultraman, The Rise of Ultraman, number one for Marvel Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom, art by Francesco Mana, Michael Cho, Guri Hairu, Ed McGinnis, and Espen (laughs) Gudentinjern. This Mm. is the classic Ultraman hero. We get a front story and a bunch of backup stories. Um, I'll tell you what, I wasn't totally sold on the lead story because I felt like it actually did kind of a Bendis thing of deconstructing and decompressing the origin of Ultraman. And I was, by the end of the issue, I was like, great, that was the thing that I was curious to see you get to at the beginning of this issue, because I don't know 
any of these characters or what's going on. But I yeah. really like the back matter a lot. Yeah, I agree. It was weird. This story had sort of that ver- that confidence of like, you know what we're doing here. Look at these characters. They're hanging out. They're screwing around. And then it was just, it sort of ended with like, oh, oh, I don't actually know these characters. I don't know what's happening. And then I'm like, oh, I see maybe there's an Ultraman happening here. But the back matter really set it up. Like set up the yeah. whole thing. The um, Ultra Q, I think, was the name of the mm-hmm. one that really set up like what the deal was and how the kaiju organization came together. And then they had the fun interspersion of the like um, sort of funnies version of Ultraman. Yeah, I like that stuff quite a bit. It's certainly a big package in terms of there's a lot of stuff going on in the comics. So I think it's worth picking up potentially for that, particularly if you're a fan of Ultraman. I don't have a connection to the franchise or anything, so I was a little lost in the lead story. But I'm definitely curious to pick up the second issue and see how that continues, because Clearly, Marvel has put a lot of faith in this. This is a big priority for them. Um, So I'm curious to see where it goes, particularly because it gets to the point you wanted to get to at the end of that first issue. Yeah. Let's move on to another one. I'm very curious to talk to you about this one. Ice Cream Man presents Quarantine Comics Special Number 1 from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo. But also by Declan Shalvey and Chris O'Halloran, Dennis Kemp and Artyom Poplin with Aditya Bidkar, uh, A. Ewing and Al Ewing, I guess, and P.J. Holden, uh, Christopher Cantwell and Eowyn Marin uh, with Chris O'Halloran. So this is a collection of, as the title says, short comics that the Ice Cream Man team published while in quarantine. There are, I believe, four tales of their own and then four guest tales that go along with it. Uh, what do you think about this book in total and then any particular stories you want to call out? Uh, I mean, this felt like such a good Ice Cream Man. Obviously, we love. We talk about this book nonstop. Um, it's something that is like a just a scary comic book that does so much to uh, with its stories to create dread, but also there are moments of humor and really um, make a point. And uh, this this felt like a great book that really digested what we're going through right now and recontextualized sort of our own everyday horror and put it in these different storylines in a way that I thought was mm-hmm. great, really great. Yeah, I really like this a lot, too. The thing that I was most curious about reading this book is how other people would handle the idea of Ice Cream Man. Uh, And of course, the lead stories, they capture it perfectly. They're great. They feel exactly like Ice Cream Man because it's the team that's doing it. But the one for me that worked perfectly that I could not believe it was the main team not doing it uh, was the one by Dennis Camp and Art um, Poplin with Aditya Bidikar. That was the one, if you haven't read it, this is obviously spoilers, but it's basically a girl who is looking out through a window at the outside world as it's falling apart, whether it's through coronavirus or something worse, like a zombie plague, it's not entirely clear. And in the background, it certainly seems like her family is falling apart and breaking apart. Uh, and at the same time, she's drawing little pictures on the windows to add things into the landscape and what's going on. And of course, things become more horrible. The drawings take on a life of their own. To me, that was like, this is, this is an ice cream bad story. This is, yeah. 
exactly what it feels like, particularly in the early days of quarantine, to look outside of the window and see those empty streets. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like being able to really artistically bring that into uh, the comic book form. I thought this whole book just gives that off in a way that I, I haven't seen anyone do that. How'd you feel about the animal crossing? Uh, oh, that was all right. I, I thought that was okay. I haven't really played animal crossing necessarily, but it was like the thing. It's a funny story, but it was too jokey for ice cream man for me. If right. that yeah, tracks. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a great package. And uh, to your point about the quarantine stuff, like I've kind of rankled against anything that talks about quarantine, like TV shows that are like, it's set during quarantine. We filmed it during quarantine. Everybody filmed it on their Zoom cameras. I yeah. makes me annoyed and I could care less because I'm living that right now. But this is something that worked for me. Well, and I think the the real smart thing they did is really like interpret it as opposed to presented it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I love about it. And, you know, I got to give a shout out to the first story because it's got my man Shakespeare in it. There you go. Love Shakespeare. Yeah. Shakespeare. That's how, no, that's how I think <laughs> scholars refer to him in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Back in time. Uh, yeah. Great stuff, though. Definitely pick that up. Next up, Joker Harley Criminal Sanity number, no, number five, excuse me, from DC Comics, written by Cami Garcia, art by Miko Sayan and Jason Badauer. Uh, we've also talked about almost every issue of this one. This is a more realistic take on Joker and Harley. Joker is a serial killer. Harley is the psychiatrist working with the Gotham PD, trying to track him down. This issue, Joker is in her house and she confronts him. Um, this this is very well written, but to me, the art is definitely the standout. And it's just gorgeous to look at across the board. Agreed. Like the use of color in this is so smart. The different passages we get um, in black and white with Joker affectation, and then the um, later the other sections that come through. Oh, and but but vivid detail in the black and white, and then later we get the sort of the more like comic booky feeling normal coloring passages. Like uh, it's great, and the the way they are positioning Joker and Harley here is something that I haven't really seen in a while and it was great to see joker with like a a straightforward origin like there's very Mm -hmm. not a ton of like he's a ghost from the future or whatever like it was nice to see that (laughs) yeah i agree uh good book definitely pick it up oh for adults only next up web of venom wraith number one from marvel written by Dottie cates art by goo villanova uh, this is another issue teeing up the big King and Black event that's coming very, very soon. Here we get Wraith, who was in Donny Kate's Guardians of the Galaxy run, dealing with his own symbiote origin. Uh, big stuff happens here. This is as tense and big and crazy as usual, as we have come to expect from Donny Kate's Venom run. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, I... Uh... This book, it doesn't, to me, like, I'm not super familiar with Wraith, but it didn't have any business being this good and interesting and exciting. Like, it's great. It had the vibe of a great Western story, um, but bringing mm-hmm. in all the symbiote um, continuity, I guess, is the way. And it's amazing just in general that Venom has become this universe-spanning continuity. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make this one person versus another, but I was struck reading this book, which is something that Donny Cates has already done, where Brian Michael Bendis was like, where do the symbiotes come from? The planet Clintar, that's where they're from. And the fact that Donny was like, yeah, yeah, but also they're the prison for this god Null. It's not actually their planet or where they come from. It's this other thing is, in my mind... It's funny that it's like a responsible retcon of a retcon, if you know what I mean. Right. It, it's, uh, it's funny to be calling out Bendis so hard in this uh, episode of The Stack. Uh, who we but, like. Uh, and is a good who we writer. like. Who we like. Um, yeah. Don't yeah. come for us, man. Don't come for us, man. Uh, I also want to call out in this book, the art uh, feels like the pacing of it, the ramping up and coming down. If This feels like something that was a – could have been a standalone like Western short story just mm-hmm. with this great Marvel universe stuff laid over top of it. Yeah, it, it's very good. Uh, all of these web event things have been very good. Let's move on to another surprisingly good comic, G.I. Joe number eight from IDW, written by Paul Allure and art by Emma Vicelli. Um, I got to say, I went from not caring about G.I. Joe at all to this being like top of my stack every month. Uh, yeah. This book is great. Yeah, I mean, we keep talking about it's crazy to eat, eat Pete's not even here, and here we are talking about G.I. Joe comics. Um, because the the depth of the sort of world building they're doing here is just so good. It's, you know, I, I think my main impression of G.I. Joe is the 80s cartoon where you have, like, Cobra Commander, and it's all very silly, and everybody's like, my name is Ice Cube and I shoot ices, you know, and that's pretty yeah, much mo- all it is. Most of the most of the communication is just the, them shouting their names. And it's like their <laughs> exactly. names are also what they do. It's a very uh, Pokemon thing for them to do. Yeah. And the fact that, like, not only is this team taking that the idea of G.I. Joe seriously, but actually plumbing into their character deaths and making these like often excruciating to read character studies about the choices that people need to make in the middle of war is yeah. bonkers. Uh, this yeah. issue, we get a character who is, uh, well, the the whole setup is like Cobra has taken over the world. G.I. Joe is the underground fighting back. And here we get uh, one of the characters. I'm honestly forgetting which stupid name she has, but she <laughs> is the Canadian ambassador. She's behind Ebony Wheelide. She's starting to fall in love with one of the people from Cobra. Are you talking about Bomb Strike? Yes, there we go. Uh, and the choices that she needs to make across the board where it's like, it's it's hard to watch. Like it's hard to read and uh, on both sides, like when she makes the right choices, when she makes the wrong choices, but that comes down to the writing. The art is good. I, I really am shocked how great this book is. Yeah. Uh, And continues to impress. It's not just like a flash in the pan. Like one story was good, like continues to be great. It mainly, it feels like, and I don't say this to deride the writer or anything, but like this feels like if Tom King decided to write G.I. Joe, what would happen? Ooh, that's good. That's a that's a compliment. Yeah. 
Uh, next up, Reaver number 11 from Image Comics, written by Justin Jordan and art by Nico Henrichan. Uh, this follows our fantasy world extreme characters attacking some dudes on a boat. Um, I got to tell you, we've uh, talked about a bunch of issues in this book. It feels like Justin Jordan has finally figured out which characters work, which characters pop, and is just focusing on them. And that, in my mind, is such a smart decision. Yeah, it's really funny in the uh, the f- sort of the page, the author page or the artist page. This uh, in the after the cover, it, we see all the characters who were initially like wandering through the wilderness. And I was like, oh yeah, remember all those people? And, and now it's just gotten down to a few, these few characters that are just like kicking ass. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's great. I mean, it works. I'm glad they pivoted the book to that. Like, if you have an enormous dude who is impossible to kill and is a crazy, murderous barbarian, and a tiny girl with a ghost face and sharp teeth who likes to bite people, focus on them. That's all good. Get rid of the other characters and it's all fine. Bring out the bitey girl. Yeah. Uh, But it's good. I mean, like, in terms of being extreme fantasy, I think this is a fun issue. Yeah, agreed. Uh, last one to talk about another Evan Dorkin book from Dark Horse Comics, Blackwood, The Morning After, number four, art by Veronica and Andy Fish. Uh, I'll admit I haven't really read Blackwood or The Morning After, uh, but I like this issue quite a bit. Uh, this is a bunch of people from seemingly a magical school or a magical library who are fighting against somebody. There's some evil masks. The character designs are great. The magic is great. Even knowing nothing about this, I think part of it is that Evan Dorkin is good at plot. Veronica and Andy Fish are great at art. Um, So the issue works even if you don't know anything about it. The way that the the masked person kills people in this is unbelievable. It's horrifying. And it's just every time I was just like, huh. And you see their corpse. It's great. It's kind of amazing reading these two Evan Dorkin Dark Horse books back to back, which I did, Bell and Dead are Doomed and Blackwood the Morning After number four. Yes. Because you have one yes. that's like, fun times, Bill and Ted, woo! And the other one's like, people's flesh being ripped off their bones. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Just very talented guy. Yeah. Uh, I agree. And to be able to work in those two different tones is very cool. There you go. All right, that is it for the stack. If you like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live. Follow us socially, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. We'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. Live large. Get out of that poison ivy patch, baby. Love